Presenting this month's special series, Focus on Sports Medicine. We're talking to experts in the field about sports and exercise-related injuries and the latest advances in diagnosis, treatment, and prevention to help your patients stay active. Exercise is essential for good cardiovascular health. This truism we accept. But are there certain types of exercise that are better than others? You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host. And with me today is Dr. Aaron Bagish from the Department of Cardiology at the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Bagish. Thank you, Lee. It's a pleasure to join you. Well, exercise is such a hot topic and an important topic for our patients. The study that you did, I found very interesting. Can you tell us what the motivation was for looking at different types of exercise and their effect on the heart? Well, there, there are a few key motivations that went into this study. First, as a, as a trained clinical cardiologist, I'm a firm believer in the health benefits of exercise. And as my colleagues and I spend an awful lot of time talking to our patients about the potential benefits of regular exercise, we have identified that there are a number of unanswered questions within the field. And I'll elaborate a little bit more on that. All of what, or a majority of what we know now about how exercise affects the heart comes from several decades worth of studies which have been almost exclusively cross-sectional in nature. And what I mean by that is that all of the studies that have defined what we now term the athlete's heart are cross-sectional, meaning they take a look at a group of athletes at one single time point make measurements and make conclusions from these measurements. And while this is very useful and this has a lot of impact on how we practice and what we think exercise training does to the heart, it leaves an important limitation, and that is the following. Cross-sectional data doesn't really allow you to make any definitive conclusions about why an observation exists. So we decided it would be important to start from square one and really look at the effects of exercise training over a longitudinal period of time. So a kind of a prospective study that might be able to comment more on causality rather than just draw conclusions from observations. Absolutely. And the easiest analogy from my perspective to, to understand this concept is the following. If someone were to watch an NBA basketball game and observe that most of the players were tall and sample 100 basketball players, a logical conclusion would be that playing basketball makes you tall. We all know that that's not the case and that being tall self-selects you for being a good basketball player, and hence that association is what we see it. The story there translates into cross-sectional data of all kind, and that it really defines an association but doesn't allow you to determine causality. Very good. And, and so you decided to do this in a prospective way, looking at athletes, but not elite athletes. Is that correct? That is correct. And that was a deliberate choice. We're, we're fortunate to be able to work with athletes at all levels. And we chose university athletes for this study for several reasons. First and foremost is that they start at a relative period of detraining at the beginning of their season. I mean, they do some work over the off-season, but they come in with a lot of room for growth. The second reason is that they are dedicated enough that they're expected to complete an entire season and to perform at a relatively high level throughout that season. So they provide a middle ground between recreational athletes who may not be able to complete a 90-day period of intense training, but also at the other end of the spectrum, they're not completely trained on day one. So should have some applicability perhaps to a broader group of patients rather than just the very elite. Yeah, and it's it's fortuitous, but it works in our favor that 90 days is the type of exercise period that we often end up prescribing to patients with heart disease, say following a myocardial infarction or following an episode of heart failure. Although I will emphasize that this study is, was in no way done to determine how to treat people with heart disease, it does provide a basis to start making some 
some speculations about that. And the duration of the study was 90 days, and, and you did echoes at the beginning and at the end. Is that correct? That's correct, yep. And the groups were defined as either endurance athletes or strength athletes. Can you tell us a little about those definitions, and is there some crossover there between the groups? Yeah, excellent question. So a little bit about the way we define these groups. First of all, when people talk about exercise training or exercise physiology, there are a lot of terms that are potentially confusing. People talk about dynamic versus static exercise, isometric versus isotonic, endurance versus strength. And for the purpose of our study, we chose the nomenclature endurance versus strength because it really doesn't make any implications about what is actually happening on a physiologic level. So we chose endurance athletes in this study to be long-distance rowers. The reason for that is that they are the group of athletes that we identified that would be doing the most similar study within their group, meaning there would be the least variation from one athlete to the next. And in the fall season, they perform a training regimen that really prepares them for long-distance events, which means that they perform a lot of low to moderate intensity, say 70 to 80 percent heart rate type activity for you know anywhere from two to three hours uh, on a given practice session. On the other end of the spectrum were the strength athletes, which for this group were we chose football players. And some people may make the argument that football players actually do do some aerobic conditioning, and this was actually a concern of mine prior to the study. However, I can tell you being out there and watching these athletes on an almost daily, if not weekly basis, that a lot, if not all of what they do during the training season is burst-like sprint strength activity and not the endurance type of activity that the other group was doing. So there, there is a distinction there. And I also wondered in, in reading this, was there some strength training done by the rowers at all? Or, or really was the majority of what they did more the endurance, lower load, longer duration? There was some crossover. And, you know, in, in modern sporting arenas, it's almost impossible to find athletes that don't do a little bit of crossover training regardless of what their primary discipline is. In our group, I think both group, both the strength and the endurance athletes did roughly 6 or 7% of their total training volume in the opposite camp, meaning the endurance athletes did somewhere between 40 and 60 minutes a week of strength training and vice versa for the strength athletes. So there is a little bit of crossover, but the physiology should be pure enough that we start to see sports-specific cardiac changes. And again, thinking down the road in terms of applicability, that to me, that seems kind of nice because that's more real-world type of situation where there is a little bit of strength with most endurance uh, athletes and vice versa. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. This is Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Aaron Baggish about the effects of different types of exercise on cardiac function and structure. So, Dr. Baggish, we've got these athletes, and you started with 64? We actually started with just over 75, and unfortunately, but not unexpectedly, we had a little bit of attrition in the strength group because of some musculoskeletal injuries that I'm sure are, as our audience is well aware, is a bit unavoidable in football. Okay, so, so the 75 and then the 11 football injuries got to the group of 64 that you studied, and tell us, what were the findings? Well, the findings, first and foremost, is that 90 days of training, regardless of what type of training you do, causes cardiac remodeling, we'll call it. And there are some similarities. The The metric that was similar between the two groups was the increase in left ventricular mass, which is simply the amount of tissue in the left ventricle of the heart, both at the beginning and at the end of the training period. And we saw that go up by 
roughly 12% in each group, if I remember correctly. The difference has really stopped there. And what we learned is that the way this mass increase is distributed is entirely sport-specific. So for the endurance athletes, then, they had this increase in mass, and what constituted that? Among the endurance athletes, it was the, the mass was really gained in a way that, caught, that allowed the heart chambers to grow in size. So using terms that we're all familiar with, it allowed the left ventricle to dilate to accommodate more blood and, and thus a higher stroke volume. Where in strength athletes, the LV cavity changed not at all. If anything, it got a little smaller. In those folks, the mass increase was really due to a growth of the walls themselves or laying down of more muscle fibers. So in the endurance athletes, we have the dilatation, whereas more of the left ventricular hypertrophy picture in the strength athletes. Exactly. And I will, I will point out to the audience listening that this concept is not new and really wasn't. The, the goal of this study wasn't to come up with this concept. This dates back all the way to the mid-70s. A sentinel paper by a, a group led by a clinician by the name of Morgan Roth, Ar Archives of Internal Medicine, 1975, actually was the first, to my knowledge, to report this concept of sport-specific characteristics in the heart. What makes our study novel, and the reason we set out to do this in the first place, was getting back to this issue of whether or not exercise training is causal in the observations we see. And I think if you look carefully at where our group started, they were almost identical at the beginning of the training period. And what we saw is these strength-specific cardiac profiles emerge as the training went on, really showing that it is the training that's responsible for this and not just people with specific hearts self-selecting for certain types of sports. Oh, that's very interesting, the causality. And, and to me, also, the period of just 90 days causing some significant changes also was a bit shorter than I thought might be necessary. Yeah, you and me both. That was one of the surprising findings here was the magnitude of change that we saw in a relatively short period of time. And again, these are relatively young athletes with some training background, but not a lot. So that may speak to the plasticity of their hearts. What we can't comment on from this study, something we're working on now, is how these changes continue to evolve over time and what the impact of several serial training periods are, and we just don't know that at this point. And can you comment a little bit on the right ventricular findings, which I thought were somewhat interesting? I can. You know, the right ventricle is an interesting story. For years, people in the cardiovascular field have focused almost exclusively on the left ventricle because it's the easier chamber to understand, and for all intents and purposes, it's the chamber that matters the most in cardiovascular disease. What we're learning in the exercise world is that the right ventricle is probably as important, if not more, than the left ventricle in terms of determining exercise capacity. One of the things that we observed in this study was that among endurance athletes, there was a surprising amount of right ventricular dilation that was accompanied by an, an improvement in right ventricular function, whereas in strength athletes, the right ventricle went entirely unaffected. Again, it's a little bit difficult to make any definitive conclusions about why that happened, but the best guess is that the lungs and the pulmonary vasculature really protect the right ventricle from the high-pressure overload that occurs in the systemic vasculature during strength training, whereas in endurance training, both the right and the left ventricles are forced simultaneously to handle large volumes of blood, and thus both sides of the heart are affected. Very interesting. So in just 90 days, the type of exercise leads to very different structural changes and functional changes in the heart. Where do we go from here in terms of additional studies and applying this in our practices? Well, I think there are a couple of immediate implications. One is that when we tell people that exercise improves cardiac function or at least impacts cardiac function and structure, 
we can say that even a short period of time has the capacity to do that. I will caution practitioners when they are educating their patients that there are still a number of questions about the dose-response relationship that this study starts to help us with but that need to be further addressed. If you look at the amount of training that was done by these individuals, it was anywhere from 10 to 11 hours of dedicated exercise training time a week, which is probably not what we're going to get our patients to be doing, especially those who have functional limitations. But what it does do is make a very strong argument for the fact that not all exercise is created equal and that we really need to look at how different exercise modalities impacts the heart in people that have any one of a number of cardiovascular diseases like coronary artery disease, congestive heart failure. We are in the process of planning studies to look at similar, albeit scaled-down exercise regimens in a similar fashion among groups with specific comorbidities, and time will tell whether or not our results apply to those populations. Well, that's very, very interesting. I, I want to thank Dr. Aaron Bagish, who is with the Department of Cardiology at the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions through our website at ReachMD.com, which now features our entire medical show library on on-demand podcasts. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Sports Medicine. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com.